Broadcasting live from the Great Northern Hotel in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington, I'm Matt. I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks. This week only, come on down to Heartthrob Harold's Orchid Emporium. We got moth orchids, we got boat orchids, we got Singapore orchids, hell, we got flat-leafed vanilla orchids. Come get your orchids, 50% off, 60% off, even 75% off all orchids at Heartthrob Harold's Orchid Emporium. Today, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 3, The Man Behind the Glass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, season two, episode three, The Man Behind the Glass, directed by Leslie Linka Glatter, who directed season, episode six of the previous season and written by Robert Angles, who wrote episode four of the previous season. We're back in old company. We open on a deputy and a doctor wrestling Ronette back down to her hospital bed after she's had sort of an episode and pans around the room slowly to show Truman turning off a beeping alert device and a nurse preparing to sedate her, some ominous music before Cooper and Albert walk in and Truman greets them. It's a cool opening shot. It's a good setup. And I like the way that Truman moves through the... like. Into is in the frame and then it pans past him and then moves back into the frame in the big sort of circular motion. And then uh, Cooper and Albert move in uh, with Truman to inspect Ronette, I guess. And Cooper, for whatever reason, immediately sort of goes for the finger uh, under the nail and with Truman prize the letter B from under her nail just like Laura yeah I sort of wondered if this was like supposed to be was supposed to be like a couple of scenes from a longer period of time than we see in the show if there's kind of an implied well I don't know exactly know how we even got here because this is not how this opens like it's opening on the resolution of a cliffhanger but this is not what the cliffhanger was from the previous episode Right, which is kind of why I had that sense that this was like a couple of sort of scenes cut together to kind of get us caught up and into this new situation. Um, But yeah, so we get to see Coop pulling. It's not as graphic, but we get to see more more tweezers under the fingernails. Yeah, and Coop, I guess, since this is a new letter, this is newly placed there, uh, Coop says that the killer must have been at the hospital, tainted her IV drip. Yeah, and, I'm not uh, sure why he comes to that conclusion. Well, because Albert walks in and says, like, oh, it looks like die. And it's a weird comment, like, oh, huh. So I, at, I was like, is that a, is he making a joke? But then it seems like, no, perhaps someone did put something in there. But maybe it's just because she freaked out. Yeah, but... They thought it was some kind of stimulant or... I don't know. Maybe they sedated her. They sedated her further so they could put it under her fingernail. And so he then, I guess, this is at this point, decides he's time to confess his story about being visited by the giant, which is met by disbelief. And Albert actually ribs him asking if, any rela- if there's any relation to the dwarf. Yeah, which is weird, like, in the context of... And since he works for... It doesn't that make any sense. Department of the FBI, like it doesn't Albert, make any sense. 
you know about all of the things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just very weird to me that, yeah, that Albert is, like, presented as this, like, disbelieving cynic. Both of them, like, seem very, like, skeptical of Coop in this scene. And I'm like, fellas. Well, even Coop seems skeptical of Coop, right? Like, Coop is always like, oh, wow, this crazy stuff's happening. But, but yeah, retrospectively, there was some retconning that doesn't quite... Uh... Doesn't quite carry over properly. <laughs> spoiler tag, spoiler tag. Not really, though. Who cares? Not really. No, I mean, just like back again, back in the in what's already happened in the show. Like Truman looks pretty skeptical, and it's like Truman, you have been totally fine with this man determining who to investigate further by throwing rocks at a bottle in the middle of the woods. Yeah, you've talked to a log. He's joined your secret society. Why is this where you draw the line? That's true. He joined their secret society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their secret society to fight, like, the preternatural darkness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Truman. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, wow, what a, what a plot hole we've torn asunder in this show. <laughs> um, Donna goes to visit heartthrob Harold. Please the recluse. Stop calling him that. <laughs> it's I'm sorry, that's his name. It's not. Harold Smith is actually his name. Uh the man that the Tremons told her to investigate and who sent a letter to her. Apparently Laura was actually the one that told Harold to contact Donna if anything happened to her. And it seems like they have sort of a uh an interesting personal relationship, those the two of them. He was sort of her secret friend, I think he describes it. Is there anyone that Laura doesn't have an interesting personal relationship with? Uh, Shelly. <laughs> oh, boom, Shelly. I don't think they have any interaction at all. Fair enough. You're getting a little meta here, but he was apparently a horticulturalist, this Harold Smith, heartthrob Harold, which explains why it is so hot in there, as Donna points out when he seats them down on his couch, and why there are quite so many plants, as well as, uh, it seems like a mini greenhouse. But he is, he is a recluse. He just sort of says he can't go outside. But he asks that Donna deliver a special orchid to Laura's grave. And Donna accepts and says that she'll be back. And there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of music rises and makes some moon eyes at each other. Ugh. I hate this subplot. It's, it's, the ep- it's the episode three, episode three. Yeah, they kind of, they set up the subplots. The threads start to spool out. I, I don't like this one either. I'll say generally, and we'll get to this as the episode goes on, I think if I didn't know what was coming, I would find this a lot more fun. Yes, that is definitely true, and that is probably going to be true of most of this season. I mean, just any show, I guess, in general that like declines over the course of its episodes, but this one is it's ridiculous. We'll get to it. Anyway, Cooper and Truman with Albert sit around in the conference room and point out that four people sarah maddie cooper and ronette have all seen the long-haired man in the wanted sketch bob no one's database according to albert has anything on this guy no one's seen this guy at all except for those four people who have all seen him within the last like two weeks and he says that the letter b found under ronette's finger was cut from a copy of flesh world uh, which is some crazy crazy forensics holy shit 
That's insane. It's impossible is what it is. But. I don't know. Like, font, paper quality, type of ink. It's like publishing forensics. I'm very into this, actually. Okay, that's pretty cool. I guess they would have the lead that it may be from Flesh World since that is a thing that is right. a part of their investigation. So they can start from there. They don't have to narrow it down to that. They can start with that one, and if it didn't turn out. But still, fast work. That's why it's the FBI, baby. I mean, that's the whole point of Albert. Albert's great in this. He's got a lot of funny zinger one-liners. I, I feel like the writing for him is actually getting better. I agree. And I this is part of why I like him more as the show goes on. Speaking of Albert, he yeah. has some kind of... I don't even remember what it was he says. He tells Truman not to drag his knuckles on the way out. Right. Truman asks, like, is there anything we should be doing? I don't remember what Albert, like, leaves to go investigate. And then, yeah, Albert says, you might work on walking without dragging your knuckles on the ground. And then Truman grabs him by the tie. <laughs> As he goes to leave. And then we get my favorite Albert moment. I love this scene. <laughs> Anything we should be working on? Yeah. You might practice walking without dragging your knuckles on the floor. <laughs> Albert, let's talk about knuckles. For the last time, I knocked you down. I felt bad about it. The next time is going to be a real pleasure. You listen to me. While I will admit to a certain cynicism, the fact is that I'm a naysayer and hatchet man in the fight against violence. I pride myself in taking a punch and I'll gladly take another because I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. Yeah, I just I just love this scene. Taken out of context, very genuine but sort of like somewhat overdone speech, which it is, but then also like coming from Albert just adds this weird layer to it where he's been such an asshole the whole time. There's nothing that like explains or justifies it. It's just this completely contradictory element to his character that they introduced, and I just love that. Kind of makes him seem like a wuss though. No. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a really easy, good like excuse. Anytime someone tries to fight you, is just be like, "Oh, I don't fight, dude. I'm a pacifist." I love, th- I love I'm this. Kidding. I love I'm this. It's so kidding. good. Also, I I mentioned this while we were watching the episode, but I am gonna mention it again just for our listeners that somebody did put the music from the, the point of this podcast. No, well, it's not like super related to the episode, but somebody did take the music from this scene, which isn't specific to the scene. It shows up in a bunch of other places. It's just the Twin Peaks music, but. Somebody did take the music from this scene and put it behind Marianne Williamson answering a question at the last Democratic debate that she was at, and it was absolutely hilarious. So you should look that up. Don't vote for her, though. She's terrible. So James is told he will not be charged because Albert has also concluded that the cocaine was planted because it was a match for Leo and Jacques' cocaine. Although that could just mean, in my mind... That James is working with them and, you know, can't trust anybody. None of these kids these days, but... Yeah, it's weird that they're like, oh, clearly it's Leo and Jock's cocaine and this high schooler has nothing to do with it because it was Bobby that put it there. 
Yeah, I was gonna say other high schooler. But they seem to be completely in the dark on Bobby. Yeah. Mm. Bobby's a really good criminal. Yeah, counterintuitively so, but you know what? Hey, we stand Bobby. I should point out that while they were discussing the long-haired man, Bob, they also had the three letters up on the whiteboard that had been found so far, which is a B, T, and an R. And uh, Lucy, on Coop's orders, is counting, using a Scrabble board, all the words that she can think of with B, T, and R in them. Hawk shows up to help. And then, (sighs) Dick Tremaine. Dick Tremaine's here. I don't think I've shared it yet. This is time for my embarrassing Dick Tremaine fact. For a really long time, I thought that the actor that played Dick Tremaine and the actor that plays Salvatore Romano on Mad Men were the same person because the actor who plays Salvatore Romano looks like an aged up Dick Tremaine. So they look very, they look super similar, similar mannerisms. And it took me, I went through the entirety of Mad Men thinking that that was thinking that that was who that was. I was going to say, this is a recent kind of revelation for you. Recent-ish. Yeah. So Dick Tremaine is, he works at Horn's department store in the clothing section. Yeah. Yes. In men's suits or something. Yeah. He sucks. (laughs) I don't want to talk, I I don't want to talk about this character. I know I made that mistake before a couple times and then regretted it, but no, I don't know. You know, he's like, he's portrayed as somewhat flamboyant in a bougie sort of way. Yeah, like I... He gets a, he gets a robot from Hawk, joking as a, a, a word that contains the three letters, but just sort of dissing Dick Tremaine, who then says something along the lines of like, I don't know what I've done to upset him. Not to say that native people don't have enough reason to be upset. Which is like, okay, woke Tremaine. Yeah, well, I think it's what his character is kind of supposed to be, like, making fun of a certain kind of, like, bougie, like, enlightened person who eats their eats with their fork and their hand in the wrong hand because that's how the Europeans do it like pretentious and like eh. yeah yeah it's that it's that sort of European like Frenchman flamboyance he's not European he's just sort of a, yeah, a pretentious yeah American. it's fine whatever I un- I understand entirely what is being said with his character it's just not that interesting it's just boring sucks he invites Lucy out for lunch yeah that's the she's clearly they're involved somehow but ugh. Leland shows up at the police station because he saw the the poster of Bob to tell Cooper and Truman that he knows Bob. He has seen this man from his yeah. grandparents' summer home. This guy used to live not in the house directly next door, but in the house sort of the next house over. There was a vacant lot between the two houses. Says the man's name was Robertson and Cooper sort of deduces that these must be what RBT are spelling out. So he sends Hawk up to the Pearl Lakes, is where it was, to investigate. Which, man, you're going to have to murder a lot of people to spell out Robertson with one letter per fingernail. Yeah, I mean, plus, like, that's a boring serial killer motive. I have no idea. This is another one of the subplots that I'd forgotten. Because you asked when this episode started, like, are they ever going to resolve the letter things? Does this go anywhere? And then they sort of maybe did this episode. But I don't know if they're proven wrong about this, but... It's a boring modus operandi to just spell out your super white bread milk toast name. <laughs> Sorry, like, I would be disappointed as a forensics investigator if it was like, oh, what's he spelling out? There's some kind of message. Oh, it's just a confession of his identity. That's fucking dumb. <laughs> like, oh, guess the job's over. I can go there and arrest him now. <laughs> 
that seems crass. I apologize. I'm sure most forensic investigators are very pleased to be able to arrest serial killers. <laughs> and we are too. Thank you for your work. I like I like it when there are fewer serial killers out and about. Um, but yeah, so then Leland says that they go to leave, and Leland goes like one goes oh one more thing, and he says that this guy used to flick matches at him. Which he then does. He like takes matches out and demonstrates and, and like flicks a match into an ashtray and with perfect aim. Yeah. Also it's weird that there's an ashtray in the building because literally five seconds ago <laughs> there was a no smoking sign and then Hawk took Dick Tremaine's cigarette from him. So I don't know. That ashtray is like full of cigarette butts. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> But anyway, not to detract from the... <laughs> they know they can't catch them all, you know? <laughs> you don't have to give them an ashtray. Yeah, so uh, anyway, Leland takes the match, he flicks the match into the ashtray and, and says, as he does, that Bob would say while he was flicking the matches, what was it? Like, do you want to do you want to play with fire, little boy? Yeah, which convinces Cooper that this is certainly their man. So do you think he's called Bob because it's short for Robertson? Uh-huh. <sighs> I don't know that this is like of all of the things I'm interested in about Twin Peaks this is not one of them because probably not that because like what happened here was that they forgot that they had to resolve this thing with the letters under their people's fingernails and then they were like shit and then they did this to just make this plot line go away that is what happened well I don't know this is gonna sound especially strange but like both T and R to me don't make fun of me for this both T and R for me feel like like correct letter like they feel like serial killer letters and i don't know if it's like but i saw b and i was like b is not a serial killer letter like b is a fun letter that's not a that's not a murder letter btr does not fit that is like a korean boy band not part of a serial killer message (laughs) so take note all serial killers out there you're not allowed to send any messages that include the letter b stop using b guys it's just not scary B is for bubbles and bumblebees, all right? And bludgeoning and brutal. Yeah, and bloodshed. The dick dick between Lucy and Date. God, I just don't want to talk. My mouth isn't even letting me talk about this subplot. The date between Dick and Lucy is not going well. He is, yeah, talking about how he, he eats with his fork in the European manner, and he's going on about mnemonic devices he uses to file different clothing when he's doing inventory. Which, that's not a mnemonic device, he's just memorizing things in his head. I was gonna say, it didn't make any, he tried to explain it, it didn't make any sense. And it was just alphabetical. Fuck Dick Tremaine. I'm getting the explicit tag on this episode hard, I hate that man. Who's worse, Dick Tremaine or Billy Zane's character? Oh boy, oh god, oh god, oh god. Do you know something I, when I rewatched season two i don't remember billy zane's character at all and that was like just like two years ago wasn't that long ago i think you probably were able to skip all of those episodes because he shows up for like i skip every episode with him in it it's quite possible because i think we both that's amazing (laughs) we both skipped like a couple of episodes towards the end of the season and he only shows up for like four episodes i skipped like 13 to the last one yeah up to the last one so yeah no you totally skipped everything that had him in it that's amazing. Basically, Lucy 
getting back. Yeah, she asks why he never called. He says he lost her number. The one thing I like about this scene is that she says, I work for the sheriff's department. You could have just called 911. <laughs> well, also something I like about this scene is that she goes on about their night and that like he had promised to take her to the Space Needle, took her to a pan- an all-you-can-eat pancake place instead, but that afterwards they got super drunk and ended up like getting it on on a mattress at Horn's department store. And I like that like for all her awkwardness and quirkiness and, and the way that they you know portray her is like i don't want to say meek but you know what i mean like yeah quiet but that does not preclude her from being like just an adult yeah an adult who can get drunk off a bunch of champagne and go out in the department store yeah she's not like infantilized in a weird way or anything yeah exactly i thought that was because i feel like they sometimes kind of do and where she's like totally like she gets louder and louder as dick makes more and more excuses and she's not really uncomfortable about sort of confronting him about this in public is there in the double R and she actually ends up dropping the pregnancy news on him and then there's an okay there's an awkward cut I don't like this one because they cut to Maddie and James seated in what would be the table directly behind them right with no time skip no fade no entrance or anything but we've never been previously cued that they were there right usually I just think they're very very good about how they structure their cuts between characters like even if the episode it's kind of a mess. I think they always balance well and they have entrances and they have people sort of crossing in and out of frames across each other or whatever it is, but this is a, a, a whoops. It's because this was filmed out of order and they just didn't think about it and they had to cut it together. But anyway, Maddie and James are seated in the double R and James is sort of wondering what's up with, for lack of a better term, hot Donna. <laughs> the Donna that wants to, quote, do it through the bars with James. Ugh. Yeah, I know they can't say, like, fuck through the bars, but, like, knowing that they're all, like, 23, even acting as high schoolers is still just, like, do it through the... James? What? Okay. Yeah, Maddie says, like, oh, you know her better than I do, which, fair. Um... James says he wants to jump on his bike and, and go sometimes. He's feeling despondent. Yeah, which, like, you should leave. Ouch. <laughs> Damn, like, I didn't didn't know you were on the James Haterade train. I'm not. I just, like, he stops being useful to the plot very quickly, and then they have to come up with things for him to do. This would have been a good opportunity for Cooper says to James when he tells him that he's not gonna, they're not gonna charge him for having the cocaine in his bike. Don't try to figure all this out yourself, and don't be kind of snooping around about this stuff on your own because it's not your job and it's going to get you into trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been a good opportunity for them to be able to kind of fade out the James, Donna, Maddie investigation. And Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of what they're doing. James does, he does. He does get on his bike and go. That's true, but then we have to watch they just, it. They just follow him is the problem, yeah. Well, Donna catches a tender moment as Maddie tries to comfort him, and she tries to make James jealous of Harold, and then storms off. Emery and Blackie hold a video camera and a syringe aloft around a tied-up Audrey Horn as they plan a hostage situation to try and get money out of Ben Horn. And Blackie actually reveals that Ben is the one that got her hooked on heroin. Does she say that? She does. I, that was a detail I'd never noticed before, but she says when she's talking about Audrey, she says, after this, you won't want to come down. After a couple days of this, you won't want to come down. She says, just like uh, just like your daddy did to me. Okay. Yeah, a little... I. Some depth there that I I don't think I ever knew about. Yeah, interesting. Mr. Gerard is selling shoes to Truman. It feels like for the fourth time. (laughs) um, When he catches a glimpse of the poster of Bob, which throws him into a cold sweat and kind of looks like an anxiety attack. It's sort of hilarious staging because he has seems to have set up like an entire 
couple of display racks to sell these shoes to Truman, but did not notice the prominently displayed stack of posters until like halfway through his spiel. But it's taking up a good half the table. But he has to head to the bathroom to take medication that he has for his condition, which he says uh, is just that he gets disoriented sometimes. Uh, Shelly tells Cooper and Truman that she will not testify against Leo. And Cooper sort of sort of makes a big show of being just all right with it and escorts her out and gives some kind of subtle threats of, uh, oh, you know, I'm sure you're going to be very happy with Leo and he's going to realize what a wonderful girlfriend or wife he has. Yeah, and says, like, with luck, Leo will make a full recovery and you'll have the same old Leo back. And Cooper also suspects it's insurance money. But does not know it's Bobby. So that's, that's why I was saying earlier, I think Bobby's surprisingly good at this whole criminal thing. Yeah, spoilers, but Bobby is so good at being a criminal that he just never gets caught and then is able to become a cop. (laughs) Infiltrates the police department. (laughs) God, it's the best arc. Okay. He commits so many crimes. Anyway. Oh my God. I'm surprised that did not. That'll come into season four when it happens. Okay. Calling it now. Live from the Great Northern will be in season four of Twin Peaks. (laughs) Oh, speaking of our podcast within a podcast, really, really quick, since we're just Glow. Glow Season 3 dropped really, really good. I think it's a great progression from Season 1 to Season 2, and I am extremely excited for Season 4. So, all right, back to it. Gerard tries to inject himself in the bathroom stall with a syringe of his medication, but he is riddled with a seizure and sort of falls onto the toilet, flushing it. And there's a kind of a cool scene where they, like, pull back from the overhead view of the stall over and then behind the door, so it's blocking it mm-hmm. and then it opens sort of quite soon after and he's like looks recomposed and he's got a look in his eye and he's asking for Bob and says that he's gonna he's gonna find him and he can't hide from him or whatever something like that uh, menacing kind of kind of crazed so it seems as though Mike has taken over Mr. Gerard here Cooper confronts Ben Horn about Audrey's disappearance. You'll remember that the end of the previous episode was Audrey's call to Cooper being hung up by Blackie and Emery Batty. Emery Batty? Emery Battis. Emery Batty. Uh, Go, I'm going to roll with that. I think it fits. Well, I was thinking like Blackie and Batty, you know? Yes. Yeah, Cooper asks Ben Horn if he's heard anything from Audrey, says that he got a call from her. Ben Horn is Ben Horn. Well, yeah, he says that Audrey has run off like this before. And then Cooper kind of reminds him that like, yeah, but also two other girls have gone missing recently and one of them is now dead. When Ben prods him about perhaps his interest is a little too personal and says that many men have been drawn in by Audrey, but if Cooper wants to avoid buckshot in his tail feathers, he should look somewhere else for companionship. So yeah, he kind of demurs and just says, all right, well, let me, you know, let me know when she's back. But it is weird that, yeah, like he was on a phone call and it got cut off and she's been missing for a few days. And like, I feel like he should just bring, like, fuck that, bring Ben Horn in for questioning. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to be a dick about this, Ben? Let's go down to the station. Here's some cuffs. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's so weird that they're not questioning any of Audrey's family investigating this at all, because you would think that, like, given the circumstances, given the ongoing investigation into a serial killer, given the fact that she's a minor, right? Like, it just, it's such a weird, it's so weird that, that the police department does not investigate this at all. Maybe they're not investigating this because Cooper is like, huh, the last time I saw Audrey, she was like naked in my bed. She's been writing me personal letters and making me personal phone calls. I'm going to get in trouble with the Bureau if this comes out. So I've got to sort of handle this myself. 
All right, I'll accept that. We, we like to fill in some storylines for them on this podcast. The man from Hong Kong watches from behind a newspaper, I think, again. <laughs> for like the fifth time, yeah. Yeah, that's his thing. Before getting up to follow Cooper, doesn't come back. Doesn't come back in the episode, so whatever. Jean Renault uh, appears playing with some, some lacy silk across Audrey's face as she's sort of twilighting. I guess because of the heroin, and then feeds Audrey some candy for the blood sugar. Yeah, this is a very uncomfortable scene. It's very yep, yep sexual. The actor Michael Parks doing a pretty hilarious uh, French-Canadian accent. The Renault brothers' accents are all over the fucking place, and it is it's such a mess. It's hilarious to me. They just didn't hire any. They couldn't think of a single French-Canadian actor to hire. They're just like, oh, man, it's a mess. But he starts to discuss the ransom plot with Blackie and what appears to be Blackie's sister. Right. Who accompanied him and Emery. And he's going to just get the money from Ben Horn to him. Ben Horn not knowing that he's involved with One-Eyed Jacks. And then Blackie's going to use that money to buy out One-Eyed Jacks from Ben Horn, I'm pretty sure. And on the side, he wants to kill Cooper, who he mistakenly believes killed at least one of his brothers, yeah. Jacques, Jacques or Bernard. Uh, although both are dead and he's... He does mention Bernard. I'm glad they brought that back. I thought they were going to forget. I have no idea why he's decided that Cooper killed either of them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure who's feeding him that info. Maybe Blackie. Maybe Blackie. But I don't... I guess Blackie to just get get Cooper out of there. But I don't know why she wouldn't... Like, I don't know why she couldn't just be like, Hey, Jean, we got to kill him anyway. Pete telephones Truman to tell him that Josie is called, saying she'll be back the following afternoon. And Truman asks Coop if he can talk to her before she's brought in. And Coop agrees. Uh, What a softie. Hawk gets back from investigating at Pearl Lakes, which I guess must just be like a couple hours. Yeah. North, south, I don't know. It must be south. Right, because otherwise it would be in Canada. Well, it could be east or west. That's true. Um, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> there are other directions than north and south. Yeah, if you did find a house that matches the descriptions that Leland gave them, it was a white house next to the address that Leland gave, next to a lot, and it's all boarded up, no name, no nothing. So they are they're going through the records now for, for the ownership. And Cooper finds out the one-armed man was there, and inspired by his dream, where the one-armed man was said to know Bob, he searches the bathroom after Gerard disappeared and finds the drop syringe, which he pieces together must be related to the giant's third clue. Without chemicals, he points. So without his medication, Gerard may be a clue to finding Bob. And so yeah. Cooper says they need to go find him. I forgot that that was how that, what that clue was referring to. I like it. I'm surprised any of these clues came to any fruition. But I actually like this. This is... This is really cool. This episode's kind of all over the place, as was the previous one. But it does feel like this one has a real roadmap in terms of what it's doing. Yeah, and I like I like the scenes with Mike slash Gerard. Mm-hmm. I think those are, like, all of those scenes are always really good. Nadine is handcuffed down to her hospital bed because of the massive amount of adrenaline going through her body. She's actually broken uh, previous restraints. Yeah, so she's pretty much, like, chained down at this point. Yeah. Doc here would suggest that Ed sing a song to her, and so he sings On Top of Old Smokey. Yeah. Which is, it's a very, it's like a, it's a very, very touching scene, much in the same vein as, as these previous scenes where Ed's sort of reminiscing about their marriage. But then... Yep. Then they just go and throw it all away because she wakes up clapping as though cheerleading 
and it seems she has been mentally transported back to high school. Yeah, so two things about this is that one, like, my fr- on my first watch through, like, for a combination of reasons, I never really paid much attention to the Ed and Nadine scenes. And, like, we've talked about how they have, like, actually a lot of emotional resonance, and which just makes this even worse. Because they actually yeah. had, like, a lot of emotional capital to work with there, and they were just like, nope. And then she's mentally transported back to high school. And she has super strength. Yeah. Yeah. I, but it's I not like an amnesia me, thing. Like, it's it's like she's... Because she's not like... It is like amnesia. But she... But she and no, Ed, she's just like, she thinks she's back in high school. Yeah, but she and Ed weren't dating in high school. That's true. So I don't know, like, I don't know. It's just, that's bad. It's all bad. I, I, I just think that's bad writing. I just yep. didn't think about that. Yep. Um, well, I guess, okay, so what really, but what I really don't like about this is that the entire time I was watching this, my thought about, like, all the James and Maddie and Donna stuff, like, it just doesn't quite fit is that, like, I said this earlier, I wanted there to be more high school stuff. Like, there should be more high school drama going on. And instead of giving that to us with all of the high school kids, they gave it to us with Nadine. Ugh. That bothers me. Truman and Cooper arrive to hypnotize Jacoby, who has a Hawaiian woman. Apparently his wife? Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, he says he introduces her as his wife, who lives at their place in Honolulu. Oh. Bizarre. Okay. Alani, I think her name is, right? Yeah. She's, like, massaging his feet, and they're doing supposedly a Hawaiian healing ritual, which I guess coincides well with Cooper and Truman getting there because they yeah they're gonna hypnotize him to help him remember who killed Jacques in the hospital uh, Cooper reads a set of cues about golfing with a somewhat sexual undertone while Truman holds a geode yep but it works it works and he recalls the attacker but of course like the shot fades away to trees it's weird that they choose to make that like a moment of suspense because like the viewers already know they revealed that yeah but i actually do think it comes around pretty well yeah because it comes back at the at the end of the episode so yeah they did it strictly for the episode structuring but it worked uh yeah you see it and you see an owl in the trees you hear it hooting and you see an owl which may or may not be what it seems donna goes to visit laura's grave and sort of talks to the grave and confesses her frustrations and goes from from very calm and composed and sort of just asking oh were you involved with harold to kind of breaking down and saying how her death has really thrown a wrench into everything. And it's kind of a good scene, and I, I, I liked it. It's overwrought, that's the point. It's nice to see Donna angry with Laura over everything that's happened. Like, I think it sort of sheds some more light onto their dynamic that Donna, like she said, you know, really, like, wanted so much to be like Laura, but that there was this tension there, and because they were always dealing with Laura's problems, and that Donna does have some resentment, and that there's some conflict there. So I really like this scene. This is actually, I and I, I remembered this happening actually, like, when Harold Smith gave her the orchid, I was like, oh yeah, we get that scene, and, and it's one of the few scenes that I kind of remember that's not directly related to Coop and Truman in the murder investigation from the show. So yeah, yeah, we sort of know her opinion, your feelings on this already. But at this point, she is actually like directly addressing them to Laura because she's at the grave. And yeah, it's one. It is a moment where it feels like a deepening of their past and their history and their relationship, rather than sometimes some of it feels a bit contradictory. Yeah, James shows up unannounced at the Palmer house at night uh, after his mom came home drunk because he can't find Donna after their previous blow up. And so there's only Maddie, 
there and they share a kiss and and a hug which donna sees because she's also there for some reason and she storms out again james chases after her but she gets in her car and drives away and then james hilariously screams donna why (laughs) it's very bad it's such a it's just a stupid line of like i'm pretty sure i can answer that for you james Donna and James and Maddie over the course of this episode have their moments of like, oh, my whole life is unraveling. And like, James is the only one I don't feel bad for at all because I'm like, James, it's because your decisions have consequences. Yeah. Yeah, James. You are just completely disregarding everybody around you because you're upset that your mom is an alcoholic, a thing that you have known for your whole life. Yeah. Oh, in fairness, she she had, she had he had just seen her get back. Yeah, I get it. It's upsetting. Where does he go after this, though? Like, does he just go back home? Nobody knows. He's not going over there to. He specifically says he's not going over there to stay there. He just says I need someone to talk to. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know. Well, also, does he then... not like? Uh, I don't care. Anyway, yeah, Maddie. Does he live alone? Well, he lives with Ed, right? Oh yeah. Or or does he? Or that's know. what I'm wondering. Like, or does he like do him and his mom like live somewhere and he's just alone most of the time, and so that's why he just goes over to Ed's. See, that's what I suspect. But they've never. I don't think they confirm this. But I want to see more of that. Like, ugh. Yeah, like if they're gonna have that be a plot point, then do something with it because that might be interesting. We might Ed's a good character to do a plot like that with and to actually have him be involved. Yeah, so Maddie cries to Leland about how everyone just sort of thinks she's Laura and that people kind of resent her for it. Yeah. She says it's like she fell into a dream, in case you forgot yeah. who created the show. Uh, Leland says he wishes it could be like those summers up at Pearl Lakes. When a weird old man flicked matches at him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, what? <laughs> I can see that being a thing that, like, well, like, that can be a happy memory anyway. Even with the weird old man flicking matches at you, because like weird things happen on every vacation or whatever. But the fact that you just brought that memory up, reported it to the police after seeing a sketch of the man that you know possibly killed your daughter, I feel like at that point you would have some pause, thinking of like reminiscing about that. But whatever. Cooper and Truman then arrive to arrest him for the murder of Jacques Renault. So this is what we were saying. It kind of comes back around. It's a good moment because the door was open because people had just been storming in and out. and you know, It's a good cut because it's sort of a, like, why is this scene happening? Yeah, and I like that Truman is sort of, like, he's, like, very hesitant and tries to sort of, like, get Leland to step away from the situation so they don't, they don't have to arrest him in front of Maddie. And then, yeah, it's a good scene. Donna goes to see Harold because apparently she has nowhere else to go. She has the most comforting parents in the entire world. I was going to say, what the fuck? He goes to get her something to drink, kind of comforts her. And while he's doing that, she seems kind of hypnotized by a flower. And then while she's looking at the flower and touching its petals, I actually really liked this shot just because they have, they're like clearly just putting some golden light on her face, but it's not entirely clear where that golden light is emanating from because she's like transfixed by a flower. Mm -hmm. So it's just some light surrealism, but she looks down at the counter that it's on and realizes that he has something labeled The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer before it cuts the credits. That's our episode, folks. And the next episode is called The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. So 
It's actually you called. You can see where this is going. No, is it not? Is it not? So first of all, it just <laughs> says lying? the diary doesn't say the secret diary of Laura Palmer. It just says no. This diary belongs to Laura Palmer, and then the next oh, episode no. is called, in fact, Laura's secret diary. Oh, I totally. How did I do that? Oh my god, what a botch! What a disaster! We should just call it now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton of final thoughts. I, this is a very inconsistent episode for me. I think it has like great highs and great lows. I like how all the clues are coming together. I like that there is still an investigation going on and one that seems coherent, especially after a lot of it kind of wrapped up in a, in a certain sense in the previous season. Yeah. Obviously, some of it is them. Like with the letters, it feels like just sort of backfilling a little bit, but it's not like off the rails. And I think that these subplots with the kid romance could like could be fun if i didn't know that they end up not being that i think again as i said they would be a lot better if they were anchored to something that was like you suggested maybe not the investigation and just put it in the high school ah yeah i i kind of agree i don't have a ton of sort of overall thoughts for this episode because i just think that like yeah, there's no real underlying unity to it. It's just sort of bopping around, checking in with all these characters, wrapping up some plots, starting others off, which is fine. I mean, I think that, yeah, you have to have episodes that do that. And I think that, yeah, some of them I like, right? The ongoing investigation, the scenes with the one-armed man, the scene where Leland gets arrested for Jacques' murder. Those are all good scenes. Donna's scene at the at Laura's grave. And then, yeah, some of them, like, James. James is weird, angst. I'm just less interested in. Some of them I probably would be more interested in Did I, if I didn't know what was coming. Some of it I would be more interested in if this wasn't my third watch of it. I mean, there's scenes in Twin Peaks that are fine. They just don't hold up to three rewatches. Yeah. Yeah, that's maybe the other thing, too. But Yeah. No, I think there's a lot. There's some really, some sort of wacky stuff with the hypnotization and then nadine just sort of everything that's going on there i'm surprised that the the one-eyed jack stuff has managed to be relevant and coherent this far i felt like things popped in and out a lot more in season two and maybe they just drop off entirely but it's going it's going okay i mean there's consistency here but i will say in tone this one ranges from stuff i really like to ugh. Yeah. I was going to talk about spoilers, but I don't think we really need to. I don't have anything. Yeah, I think this one sort of just moves the moves the season forward. There's not a lot of um, stuff that sets up anything really long term. So No, you got Dick, Dick Tremaine, his introduction, and you got Jean Renault. I think by the time, you know, actually, I don't really remember what happens to Jean Renault, so... Yeah, so we'll find out, I guess. Yeah, I you know, this, uh, well, if you listen to the previous episode, I was not a huge fan this one, I, I ended up coming out average just because it was sort of a lot of a lot of peaks and valleys. Twin peaks, twin valleys. That's pretty much it for this episode. Um, mm. I was going to say, there are actually a lot of character introductions because, like, Harold. That's true. So It's weird that it happens in the third episode. I mean, I'm okay with that. I, I, one of my pet peeves in a lot of shows today is that, like, oh, it's... Unless it is a prestige, prestige show, it's like, oh, it's the first episode of the show. This is where you get the new characters Uh-oh. for the season. Uh-oh. Oh, the, your audio cut out for a minute on Skype, but it'll be in your recording, so I'll just, I'll find out whatever you said when I edit this episode. Yeah, so that was season two, episode three. Follow us on MySpace. Uh, 
Follow us on Tinder. How do you think Tinder works? I actually don't think you can do that on Tinder. I've never used it, but I probably not. No, you swipe swipe right or is it left? I don't remember. Swipe one of the ways. We're the worst millennials. Swipe the good way for our podcast, which you can find at Tinder. What? No, you give the actual ones. Give our real handles. I was trying to I was trying to bounce back. Oh. We're at Northern Live Pod on Twitter and you can email us at livefromthegreatnorthern at gmail.com. Send us fan mail, but not weird fan mail. Or weird fan mail. I'll answer the weird fan mail. Uh, okay, well, you asked for it. Just don't send us the letter B, because we don't like that one. <laughs> it's not creepy enough. Maybe only send us only the letter send B. Us B. Don't send us T and R. Don't send us T and R. Those are the serial killer letters. Uh, we will see you next time for an episode titled... Not the one I messed up. Laura's Secret Diary. Uh, Enjoy a nice cold cup of iced coffee because it is way too hot for a steaming hot cup of joe.